Thank you, worship team. Well, good morning, Trinity. Everyone made it here, our first dose, maybe, of winter. More to come, I hope. Don't throw anything at me if you're not into that. But Thank you, JJ. Don't throw that at me. Thank you, sir. We have less than one week until Christmas. Ah! And no one is more excited about it than I am. I love me some Christmas season. Like, give me the music on the radio that starts in early October. Give me the sleigh bells and the Christmas trees and the snow and the stockings hung by the chimney with care. Give me the ridiculously cheesy Christmas movies. Give me the smell of the Christmas cookies and buckets of figgy pudding. I have no clue what figgy pudding is, but I'm down because Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Or is it? For some, and perhaps some in here, this season brings wave upon wave of anxiety and depression and even isolation. Now, this season can be far from the most wonderful time of the year. This can be the most lonely time of the year. And as I prayed and I thought through this message, I so struggled this week with what I wanted to say. Because like I said, to me, this is the most wonderful time of the year. But how do you speak into and preach into? How about now? All right. Am I good? Yeah? All right, cool. So as I prayed through this message this week, I kept thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? How am I going to talk about joy? And I woke up yesterday with what can only be a spirit-led perspective because it pointed directly away from me and straight to God. And I felt like the spirit was saying, this is not about what you want to say. This is about what God wants to say. And I believe that God wants to speak to every single one of us today and meet us right where we're at because that is what Christmas does. Now each week, as Pastor Kirk said, we've gone through a different theme this Advent. Our first theme was hope, the hope that Jesus brings into this world. Our second theme was peace, as he says, the peace that Jesus brings, this wholeness, this complete restoration. Last week's theme was love, and as you guys saw, we had 300-plus people engaged in putting onto that display of love for our community, and this week we turn our attention to the theme of joy. Now, if you were going to buy someone a book or a resource on Amazon, you would have 80,000 options to choose from about joy, but today I don't care what the experts say about joy. We need to care what God says about joy. Now listen to this. 
A recent Pew Research survey found that 50% of actively religious people considered themselves to be either happy or very happy. 50%. I mean, those are like Hall of Fame numbers. So let's assume that there's 200 people in here right now. Everyone on my right, let's assume, is happy. Look, my family and my pastor are over here, so those are just the breaks. Everyone on my left, let's just assume, is unhappy. 50% of people, happy and unhappy, according to this poll. But whether you are happy or unhappy, you have a huge problem. And the problem is this, that happiness is circumstantial. Meaning, if you are on this side and you are happy, it will depend on your circumstances not changing for the worse. And if you're on this side and you're unhappy, it is dependent on your circumstances changing for the better. As we define it, a state of happiness can only exist in the presence of good and the absence of bad, which means that everybody on my right is one event away from being unhappy. And if you're currently happy and you're not convinced yet that you're one event away from unhappiness, let me illustrate it with one more point. This Pew Research study was done in January of 2020. I wonder what the survey would find if it was done just three months later, when a pandemic emerged that would take more than five million lives Millions of jobs shut down churches and schools and businesses, afflict over 300 million, cause untold mental health issues, and divide families. How many people on this side, just three months later, would get up and walk and sit over here? If we didn't know by now, has not the last two years taught us how transitory, how dependent, and how fleeting happiness can be. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking we could contend that we didn't even need a pandemic to teach us that. Our past Christmas experiences teach that. Think about that thing you got on that Christmas when you were a child, which was the fulfillment of everything you've ever dreamed about. That bike, that dress, that doll, that game. Are you still riding it? You still wearing it? You still playing it? Does it still complete you? Of course not. See, not only do the circumstances around us change, but we change around our circumstances. As C.S. Lewis famously said, if you find yourself with a desire unfulfilled by this world, perhaps you were created for another world. It's almost like we need somebody to come into this world who is not from this world that can give us something better than the best this world has to offer. And that is exactly what happened when Jesus was born, when heaven came down. But God did not send his son into this world so we would be just participants in the Christmas season, but recipients of Christ's blessing. And the invitation for us all today is to receive this blessing of joy. So join me, Luke chapter 2, 
Pewback Bible in front of you, page 832. If you do not own a Bible, Christmas came early. That one is our gift to you. Luke chapter 2, again, page 832 of the Bible in the pew back in front of you. And as, we, as we're, we're going to read verses 1 through 15, but I, I really want to focus on and I really want God to speak to us today through verses 8 through 12 and show us four things. Who this joy is for, how we obtain this joy, what this joy does, and what the source of this joy is. Who it's for, how we get it, what it does, and what is its source. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we need to hear from you today. Father, would you meet every single one of us where we're at, and would you invade our lives with the heavenly joy that you have purposed us to have in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, point number one, who is this joy for? Now, I already told you, I love the Hallmark makeovers that we give all of these Christmas scenes. But if we're going to really receive this blessing of joy, we have to understand this in its original context. Because people who read this account back in those days would have had to pick their jaws up off the ground. This good news of great joy came to who? Shepherds? What? You know Psalm 23, the psalm written by David about the good shepherd, about Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? A commentary on that psalm called the Midrash, written back in the uh, 5th century, written by a Jewish rabbi, he said, no position in the world was as despised as that of the shepherd. Shepherds were outcasts, despised, rejected, the lowest, the least, the lost. If a shepherd brought you a meal, you were to assume it was stolen and not eat it. They were known liars. 
Therefore, their testimonies were assumed false, which means they couldn't even bear witness in court. These shepherds in the field that night were not just in the dark physically and spiritually, but they were in the dark socially. They were on the outside of the outside, unwanted, insignificant. Now, we would have thought that this good news of great joy would have first been announced to kings and queens, but God uses the simple in the world to confound the wise. So what does this teach us about the heart of God and true Christian joy? Well, don't think for one second that God doesn't see you in the dark, isolated, outcast, lonely, marginalized. And this is where he meets you. This is where he meets me, with a joy that is unshakable. Christmas reminds us of and calls us back to this invitation from God through Jesus that meets us right where we are at. The invitation for great joy given to the shepherds did not come to them because they were in the cool crowd. It did not come to them because of their vast theological knowledge or their great amount of wealth. The shepherds did not ascend to heaven to discover this great joy. Heaven came down and met them right where they were at with good news of great joy. Do you think God doesn't see you? He does. Do you think that you're beyond the reach of God's mercy and grace? You're not. Are you in a spiritual darkness or social isolation this Christmas? This great joy, it's for you and it's for me and it's for everyone who would call on the name of Jesus Christ. Number two and number three, these things are inextricably joined together. How do we get this joy and what does it do in our lives? I've just got to be honest, these wrecked me this week. They brought me to tears because they exposed something in me I didn't even know was there. And again, we miss this in our eggnog-induced nostalgia. But look again at the shepherd's reaction to this announcement. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were what? They were terrified. Literal translation, they feared with great fear. Why? Because although they were despised shepherds, they were not stupid shepherds. When the glory of the Lord shines upon you, by definition, it exposes darkness. No one can stand in the glory of the Lord. When Isaiah, the prophet, Seize the glory of the Lord. His immediate reaction is not something you're going to find on any Christmas card you receive. He says to me, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. This is a prophet of God. And he says, I dwell with people of unclean lips. The gospel writer John, remember the one whom Jesus loved? He sees a vision in Revelation of the resurrected Jesus. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. You cannot stand in the presence of the glory of the Lord. And these shepherds, they are immediately confronted with the holiness and the purity 
the light of the Lord, and it is terrifying. But for all the judgment they most likely expected into the fear and into the terror and into this spiritual darkness, God announced joy. How did they get it? How did their terror turn into joy? Their fear into freedom, their rejection into acceptance. One word. Behold. Standing in the presence of the glory of the Lord, that which was enough to kill them in judgment, the angel commands them, do not be afraid. And this is what wrecked me this week. Because it became so obvious that for the last several months, I have been letting my circumstances define God instead of God defining my circumstances. But we weren't made to stare at our circumstances and glance at God, but to glare at God and glance at our circumstances. I was not beholding this good news. I was beholding fear. I was beholding uncertainty and frustration and feelings of failure and anxiety. I was not beholding this good news. Now I would contend, and I think I could make a really easy case, that the fear of the judgment of God is the ultimate fear. Like if you're going to be afraid of anything in this world, that's the one. But what replaces the ultimate fear with unshakable joy. Behold. Behold what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news, the gospel. Look, even the sentence structure gets it right. Before the good news, great fear. After the good news, great joy. What's in between? How do you get from great fear to great joy? You behold the gospel of Jesus Christ. If beholding the gospel of Jesus Christ replaces the ultimate fear with great joy, then what of our fear of failure? Our fear of decisions that we need to make. Fear of rejection. Fear of COVID. Fear of your past. Fear of your future. Fear of your finances, fear of man, fear of loss. Do all of those things still exist? Of course they do. But their power over us is reduced to nothing by beholding the gospel of Jesus. How does the world meet you where you're at? In your pain of loss, in your anxiety, in your loneliness, in your fear. The best the world has to offer you is escapism. Captured well by the 1990s Jamaican philosopher Bobby McFerrin. Don't worry. Be happy. But how many times have you and I tried to either gain or preserve happiness by navigating around the problems of this world only to be shipwrecked by them? The joy that comes from believing and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ does not offer us a way out of the problems of this world. It offers us a way through them. As you sit here today, what are you afraid of? What is your greatest fear? What's causing you anxiety when you lay awake at night? Are you burdened by a loss? What do you need this great joy to invade? 
God spoke then, and he speaks now. Fear not. Behold. Look at the wonder and majesty that heaven came down, and God is with us. And let us not just hear that with our ears, or see that with our eyes, but treasure it with our hearts. Behold the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's worth saying again and again and again, lest we forget this word gospel, good news, euangelion, in the Greek is what messengers of conquering armies would deliver to their nations, announcing something that changed everything. Good news, because if your nation lost the war, you became slaves to the other nation. I bring you good news, a gospel, that the war is over, that victory is won, that we are not slaves. So here is a messenger of heaven saying to the shepherds, I bring you euangelion, good news that today the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord is born unto you, all pointing to the victory that Jesus would win for us on the cross, conquering sin and resurrecting from the tomb, conquering death, and in that we are no longer slaves. That is not fake news. That is good news. And this good news that brings joy meets undeserving people like me right where we're at. And we receive it when we believe it and behold the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it expels fear and replaces it with a deep-seated delight and gladness at our core. This does not change how we feel. This changes who we are. Why is this joy so unique? And why does it stand in stark contrast to the happiness that so many of us seek from the world. Last point. The source of this joy. Now I made the case earlier that the source of happiness as we define it is found in the presence of good and the absence of bad but both of which constantly change. So what is the source of this great, unshakable joy? Well, it must be the presence of good and the absence of bad, but that which never changes. Verse 11. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I thought about this yesterday as I was finishing up this sermon. More tears in my eyes. I'm telling you, this pastoral thing is making me soft. But I almost couldn't even type this. The thought came to me. If an angel of the Lord appeared to me on Friday night, this coming Friday, Christmas Eve, and said to me, David, I bring you good news that will cause great joy what would I fill in the blank with? What would I want that good news to be? What would I want the angel to say next? And the first thing I thought of was, I want my sister. I want to meet my sister. 
I was one, and she was seven when God called her home. I want to meet her. I want to see my parents love her and wrap their arms around her. I want all the pain that's been in my family since I was one, gone. And then I thought, I want my father-in-law back. My mentor, one of my best friends who took his life in 2013. My wife's dad, an unreal grandfather to our girls. My mother-in-law's husband, I want him back. Are these noble desires? Am I right to want these people back in my life? A thousand percent yes. Is the pain real and still right underneath the surface? Of course it is. But in my heart of hearts, as great as that pain is, I know that if I want real hope and everlasting peace, the highest love and unshakable joy, I must find it in nothing other than the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because when I fear failure in Christ, I am perfect in God's eyes. When I am on the margins, when I am despised, when I am lonely, Jesus became all of those things for me that I would be accepted and embraced and adopted into the family of God. Because I know that in Christ, I will meet my sister in heaven and see my father-in-law once again in eternity where there will be no more tears and no more mourning and no more loss. And because of Christ, nothing and no one can take that away from me. If happiness is determined by what you have, joy is determined by what you can't lose. You can lose your job, but in Christ, no one can thwart God's plan for your life. You can lose your health. You can lose loved ones, but no one and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. They can take your life, but they cannot break Jesus' promise to you of eternal life. Jesus is the highest good in whom there is nothing bad. He has never changed and he never will. And on that Christmas day, 2,000 years ago, in the city of David, the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord was born unto you. Would it be that we stop searching the earth for that which heaven provided 2,000 years ago? This Christmas... Believe and receive the good news of great joy that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I'll close with this. If a well-given gift represents the love that you have for someone, consider God's gift to us of joy. It's something you absolutely need and you cannot find anywhere else. It is 100% personalized for you. It's guaranteed to fit. It doesn't take batteries or ever need to be recharged. It never fades or goes out of style. It's contagious in a good way. It's waterproof, windproof, and fireproof. It cannot be lost and stolen. It grows within you the more you share it with others. 
It weighs nothing, yet is strong enough to carry you through the toughest of circumstances. It doesn't add pounds to your waist. It will reduce the burdens of your heart. It has zero calories, yet the sweetest of tastes. And you'll experience it to the fullest when your time on earth expires. John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist movement, he passed away in 1791. And as he passed away, he stared into glory. And his final words were, the greatest gift of all is God with us. And he died with those words on his lips. Would we live with their blessing in our hearts? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we so desire, we so need your hope and your peace and your love and your joy. And Father, I pray in these moments that each one of us gives to you that which we have allowed to overshadow our joy, whether it is loss, loneliness, pain. Father, would we hand that over to you knowing that you meet us right in those moments of darkness. When it is the darkest, your light shines the brightest. And so, Father, would we not only believe this good news, but would we receive the great joy that comes with it and in that find fulfillment and the purpose that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.